EMB On Demand is a love letter written to the music of the Dave Matthews Band and the eclectic family that passionately supports them. Hello, and welcome to DMB On Demand, where we explore the music of DMB and the family therein. Take a seat, get comfortable, and welcome to the best of what's around. Welcome to DMB On Demand. Just a few notes to touch on before we get into the segments and interview today. First, a heartfelt thank you for people who have signed up on our Patreon. You know, we've been doing this a long time, and we've evolved into different things over the past 11 years, but each venture we take on requires just a little bit more time and effort and finances, whether it's hosting, um, time for the blog, time for the podcast, the programs it takes to edit the podcast, uh, the whole kit and caboodle. Um, And so we've always been asked how people can help, and typically we'd route them through our PayPal, but even though that PayPal was for people to support us and what we're doing, I wanted to give a little more. So we started a Patreon account. We have four different levels on our Patreon account and each one has different perks. Some have stickers and some have custom DMB art. Some have discounts to our store. Others have access to the Media Vault. Um, the 2021 tour audio will be up in there. Uh, so give, give it a look, DMB On Demand, uh, Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash DMB On Demand. And hey, if that's not for you, or things are tight right now, there's one more thing you can do for us. You can go to the, whatever platform you're on right now, go and leave us a rating and review. Getting a rating and review helps boost our visibility on all the major platforms, so that helps tremendously as well. Also, we have about 30 new designs coming to the shop this week. Um, I've been building up these designs for a long time, but I think now's a good time to publish them. That way they can be out there for the tour season. We'll have stickers, phone, phone cases, shirts, tank tops, tote bags, hoodies, and about anything else you could imagine. And we do custom designs. So if you see a design you like and you want a name or dates or a venue or whatever the case may be, whatever you want on it, Give us a a shout on social media and we can probably make that happen for you. We also do custom designs. If you want a a design built from a song from scratch, you tell us what you're looking for, the colors, the style, what have you, and we go and we work our magic and get that brought to life for you. So just give us a shout on social media if either of those things apply to you. I think that's going to do it for the notes. Let's jump right into today's content. I hope you enjoy it. It's part one of a two-part series with Joshua Wilson. All right, enjoy. Before we get to the interview, we'll take a moment to discuss some DMB history and news. We will have links to all information presented in the notes section of the episode on dmbondemand.com. Hey guys, it's Bridget. Um, you can find me on Twitter at B-R-I-H-A-L-4457. Back with another edition of DMB History from DMB On Demand. Continuing from last episode, the band released their first live EP entitled Recently in 1994. The album's five tracks were taken from the shows performed at the Birchmere in Alexandria, Virginia, and from tracks in Charlottesville recently was re-released by RCA Records in 1997. 
Boy Tinsley performed electric violin with Wawa pedal. On September 20th, 1994, DMB released their debut studio album, Under the Table and Dreaming, featuring their first commercial hits, What Would You Say, featuring John Popper of Blues Traveler fame on harmonica, Satellite, and Ants Marching. The album was dedicated in memory of Anne for Matthew's older sister, Anne, who was killed by her husband in a 1994 murder-suicide. Under the Table and Dreaming brought the band worldwide fame and was eventually certified six times platinum. Under the Table and Dreaming and its follow-up album, Crash, brought the band a Grammy Award and four additional Grammy nominations. The band won the 1996 Grammy Award for Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group for So Much to Say. In addition, the band was nominated for the 1995 Grammy Award for Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group and the 1995 Grammy Award for Best Music Video, short form for What Would You Say, and was nominated for the 1996 Grammy Award for Best Rock Album for Crash and the 1996 Grammy Award for Best Rock Song for Too Much. The band achieved hits with Crash Into Me, Too Much, and Tripping Billies. Tune in next week for the continuation of DMB history from DMB On Demand. Thanks again, guys. Each week, we have an intimate conversation with a member of the DMB family. We explore how the music of Dave Matthews Band and the deep bonds within the DMB family have shaped their life. We come to realize that while each story is unique and the family as a whole is diverse, we are sewn together by one common thread. The members of Dave Matthews Band and the people who make up the DMB family are simply people who love. We hope you enjoy this week's interview. All right, brothers and sisters, we have um, a nice interview coming today. Full transparency, we've already interviewed our guest today. His name is Joshua Wilson. Um, we interviewed him about two weeks ago, give or take. And unfortunately, there were some issues with the audio sync and the recording. And it wasn't just a one-time deal where I could go in and edit it once and be done. It was going to be, you know, six, seven, eight different audio issues and it was just going to be easier to re-record it. So this is the second time in the history of the podcast we've had to re-record. And just like the first time, I'm so grateful that Joshua took the time to sit down again with us. It takes an incredible amount of patience not to get frustrated with that. Um, I know that because I get frustrated with it. But we're just overwhelmed with gratitude for, for coming back, Joshua. So if you could jump in and tell the listeners a little bit about you, where you're from, what you do, what's family like, what's home like. Just give us a, a overall picture of who you are. Yeah, thanks, Drew. And no worries. I, I know technical difficulties happen all the time. And I'm uh, blessed that you said, hey, you've been following me forever. Let's uh, let's get that get you on the podcast. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here again and uh, still humbled that you chose me. So it's it's fun to fun to chat with my uh, my DMB bro and uh, sisters out there. So originally from Indianapolis, Indiana, Deer Creek is my home venue, even though I've lived in uh, the Atlanta area, metro area for 14 years now. Uh, you know, that's 
I still have more shows at Deer Creek than I do anywhere else. So uh, Deer Creek is home to me. Uh, but uh, yeah, I grew up in Indy, uh, went to Ball State University uh, for both undergrad grad and uh, was recruited to come down to Atlanta. And I just knew that my, uh, my, my world would change in undergrad. Actually, I knew I wasn't going to be in Indiana for the longest time. And I just had this weird feeling. And then I met my Southern Belle wife and uh, game is over. I'm, I'm stuck here in the South. Uh, even though my dad is from Virginia, uh, I am part s- Southern, part Midwesterner. So <laughs> many people know that. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, I've been working down here for uh, corporate America and uh, telecommunications for 14 years. And uh, it's been a blessing because it's allowed me to uh, meet so, uh, you know, meet so many people in the band and uh, actually not just in the band, but uh, other people. Uh, and other friends throughout the U.S. Uh, just going to shows and meeting other <clears throat> friends down here. So uh, it's uh, glad to be here. And uh, what else? What else? Well, uh, not to put you on Front Street, but we were just discussing that there's a big event coming up next weekend. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that looks for you? If you're going to be with family, friends, what your plans are and what that big event is? Yeah, I uh, reluctantly turning 40. <laughs> I, I guess I can't stop it from happening. Uh, but yeah, we're just doing a brewery down here, uh, Reformation Brewery, that's uh, out of Woodstock. And uh, just having friends... Uh, uh, some friends come come in. All my family's still in Indy, so uh, so we're trying to do something in Indianapolis. But uh, this month is already full with other travel schedules, and you know the last week in July is Dave Matthews and also Fish two nights. So and I'm also going to Kentucky somehow in that same week, and maybe South Carolina. So I'm not going to be sleeping the last week of July. So I think I'll be celebrating my 40th in Indy in August. Unfortunately, I can't be going to the show up there because it's my uh, bride's birthday the same time the show is going on. So, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, we're just celebrating at a brewery and some friends um, friends hanging out. We're, we'll do a nice dinner one night or a couple nights. And, uh, and I think we're, we have a mini vacay planned in, in the future as well. Ironically enough, it's been about two months since my 40th. And to be honest with you, I didn't feel anything when I turned 30. And I didn't feel anything when I turned 40. I mean, what I mean to say is, is yeah. that the age number really just doesn't impact me whatsoever. I know a lot of people go through their midlife crisis or what have you. And I'm perfectly content with being 40. And uh, we did something similar. We, my wife, not we, my wife planned a a beautiful getaway. You know, we're traveling on the road. So there's not many places we want to go that we haven't been yet, but we hadn't been to Vegas. And so she planned out a three to four day Vegas weekend. And so before I was into graphic design and stuff like that, I was in hospitality and um, hospitality management, and I, had, I was director of sales with a, a major hotel. And um, with that being said, I really find hotels fascinating. Like I'm the weird guy that watches Hotel Inspector and you know world's famous hotels. So when we went to Vegas, the one thing I told her I wanted to do, ironically enough, wasn't gamble. We didn't gamble one time while we were there. Uh, I wanted to go see all the hotel lobbies, and so that's what we did. We went nice. to see all the 
Yeah. Went to see all the hotel lobbies, stopped where we wanted to stop. We went to Penn and Teller one night. I'm, I'm huge into Penn and Teller and uh, it was a fantastic weekend, man. And I honestly, my wife just pulled out all the stops and, and for me. So I have not to ramble on, but I have this mood, uh, tracker app that I use and uh, it, it helps me with my mental health journey. And thankfully for the past, you know, two years, everything's been cool as can be, but there's different statuses on your moods. And it goes from like an absolute shit day to, uh, it was all right to meh to, it was a good day to holy shit. This is the day. And Vegas was one of my only two, holy shit, this is the day. So, <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying is long, yeah, long way of saying that I, I truly hope your 40th is is uh, up to that level. And it's a, oh, man, holy shit, this is the day, day for you because of uh, family and friends. So yeah. with that being said, we're going to jump right into the DMV portion. That's why the listeners are here. Uh, we all have this this common thing between us, the music, and we're going to explore that a little bit. And I think you're going to find out that the music hits you distinctly, but there's also this commonality with it. Like we've all had the same soundtrack to our lives and we've all been in the same dark and bright places where the music has reached us. And, and that's what we want to explore. So we're going to start off with kind of a, a tough question. There's a lot of bands out there. For me in particular, uh, my favorites would be, I'm a big singer-songwriter guy. So I like Josh Ritter, Tallest Man on Earth, Shaky Graves. But none of them even come close to being on the platform as far as fandom goes for, for DMB, for me. Yeah. So all the bands out there, man, there's a lot to choose from. Why DMB? And, and why is this the band that that is your band? Yeah, yeah, and you had mentioned Josh Ritter. I, I'm also a singer, songwriter, lyricist type of person, uh, and lyrics speak to me, and then the music speaks to me, and then the instruments yeah. speak to me. So there's like multiple layers in which I hear one thing. Josh Ritter is a great uh, lyricist, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Josh Josh Radden is also a good one up there too. Um, or Radner, sorry, I always get him mixed up with someone else. But uh, uh, yeah, when I first heard, so WTTS in Indianapolis, it's actually right outside of, Blue, it's out of Bloomington, Indiana. And um, I grew up 25 minutes north of Bloomington. And it, they always and still play today. It's an independent radio station, one of the best radio stations out there. I still listen to them, even though I'm here in Atlanta. And they have always played uh, just just deep, uh, thoughtful, classic uh, music, not classic music, but classic rock or uh, jazz, anything that has substance and has depth. Uh, they always play. And they picked up DMB early on. And they always pick up new emerging artists and emerging artists. And uh, when I that fall of '94, when uh, Under the Table and Dreaming came out, I heard uh, "What Would You Say" and thought, "Holy cow!" the The opening guitar riff 
caught my attention. And, um, and then I started listening to the lyrics and at, well, at the time I was reading the lyrics because you'd buy the CD and you'd read it in the CD cover and, Absolutely. and oh, man, that takes me back. Right. Hell yeah. And, uh, and so I was re- reading that and then I got a guitar that year actually for, uh, for Chris, <clears throat> for Christmas. And, um, and then I got the tab book and then I started getting into it and thought to myself, man, if I could play every song on the CD, I'd be a good guitarist. So I started one by one going through the songs. What would you say was like one of the hardest for me just because of the slide Anyways, not going to go into it. I don't know how many guitarists are out there listening in this, but uh, the opening riff was, it, it took me a little time and it had to develop some strength. But what I'm saying is the depth of his music, of what it speaks to the heart, what it speaks to the ears, what it speaks to the brain, it, it touches all of that. And it, it would, it's unique to find uh, artists that could transcend decades right and no artist will have the same sound uh foo fighters just coming out with a new cd and and they had a concert a couple weeks ago people were like why are they playing the bgs and what people don't know is dave grohl actually started like his drumming was mimicking the bgs drummers in nirvana so like like a lot of nirvana sounds are just coming from a different place and so it's funny that you know dave grohl is transcended musical prowess and he um you know his influences were from bg yeah so i just read an article about it so what so so it's like uh you know uh, foo fighters are changing their sound but no sound can continues to stay the same for any artist but what dave matthews band has done is continue to morph and morph and morph and but they keep the soul of who they are right they keep the lyrics the soul of who they are the the way they play may change but the dynamic of the band is just it's unbelievable and uh and so yeah, the, the, they've been my top number one for the longest time. But I, I also throw in the Beatles were my first love uh, of music. Uh, I was a I was a bouncing baby boy at a Beach Boys concert. Uh, that was my first show, <laughs> technically. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, the the um, Dave Matthews Band. Yeah, they've always had a focus on love and positive. Um, it, for the most part, throughout, uh, positivity throughout all their songs, not almost not all their songs, but uh, I have a way of just taking a song and getting uh, getting something out of it. And uh, and they just continue to to make that happen for me. Going back to the first part of your previous answer there with the CD lyrics, man, that that takes me back. Seriously, <laughs> I and I even can go back to unfolding the cassette tape packaging and yeah. looking at the lyrics and that smell of the cassette tape. It's unlike anything I've ever smelled before. It smells like an old, old bookstore. I don't, I can't place it, but I love it. Uh, but with the lyrics, 
I used to, when I first got into Dave Matthews, when somebody first turned me on to them and I started to get a little interested on my own, I uh, went and printed off lyrics. And I vividly remember sitting in a van. I was working as a, a part-time security guard at the time and it was boring as shit. And so I printed off the lyrics. <laughs> I had my little boom box with me yeah. and I was reading the lyrics. And then one time, because it was almost like a game for me trying to figure out Dave Matthews lyrics and the way he presents them. Yeah. Without any, yeah. Without any help. It's tough for a new fan to yeah. really understand what's being said. And so I remember the first time I heard warehouse and I didn't need the lyric sheet in front of me. And I was able to sing the entire song of warehouse. And right there, it was like, ah, I figured it out. And from that point on, I could understand Dave Matthews, and it was just uh, that was the song that that made me a fan. And uh, so, before we move on to the next question, do you have something you wanted to double back on? Yeah. Oh my God, there was so much you unpacked there. Yeah, I remember. I I think I still have my crisscross tape, CNC uh, Music Factory tape, yeah, NC yeah. Hammer tape, Millie Vanilli tape, somewhere in there. <laughs> Green Day and Ice Cube are the two that I remember vividly. Oh, I had that on CD. Dookie was awesome, and I I, I had Ice Cube on CD somewhere too. Uh, but uh, I I do remember you did bring back a memory. I totally forgot that when I first heard what would you say? I was like, did he really say up and down puppy's hair fleas and t-? is he really talking about fleas and ticks? Like, what the heck does that mean? And like, and I had to look up the lyrics because I'm like, who's this? English guy, nope, South African. <laughs> and it's funny, one of my best buddies, best mates, if you will, he's uh, Daryl Hudson is from uh, South Africa. And so, like, he's actually met Dave Matthews twice now. Uh, he actually has a surprise for me on my 40th that he met Dave Matthews at a resort, but I can't, yeah, he, like, a couple months ago, he met Dave Matthews at a resort. And it's funny because I met other South Africans here in Atlanta. And I know it's, it's uh, distinctively they're, that they're South African and not Australian and not – anyways, side tangent. But, yeah, I couldn't hear what he was saying. I was like, he's got a weird muffle, like, little thing going. And then Jimmy Fallon does a great, like, impression where he goes, oh, yeah. Yeah. like, he does those weird little yeah. – it's like, well, you know, uh, my buddy Daryl can speak other, like, African languages and – he'll like throw a click in there i'm like what is that so it's kind of, kind of tribal sounding at times very tribal so you're like wow that's so fascinating that you hear a little bit in his music but i also hear it with my buddy and so it is funny yeah i i and now like once you get your ear to him you can figure out like okay i, I know what he's saying and i could i could uh hear through the accent if you will 100 percent totally yeah <laughs> 100% man so that was kind of the song Warehouse when I finally decoded it that was the song that really solidified yeah. me as a fan like it, it really put the concrete in my fandom so what about you what what song whether it be at a live show or you heard alone or somebody turned out what what one song really kind of turned the corner for you in your fandom oh man <clears throat> um I think it was Ants Marching after that because uh, the WTTS played What Would You Say? And then like a week later, they unveiled Ants Marching. And then I remember seeing 
the video on MTV when they actually had videos uh, of what would you uh, not what would you say ants marching and thought holy cow that's that's unique and dark and mysterious and they're playing in a warehousey district kind of thing and but it's it's happy and it's bright and and of course that scat uh, rap he does in there I was like he's talking about fat people like candy man tempting the what. Tempting the thoughts of a sweet tooth. I'm like, what is he talking about? So I, I, I think after that uh, song, it completely turned me like this band is nothing like anyone else out there right now. Even though I, I love grunge music and love rock and love, still love the Beatles and Zeppelin and Skinnerd and Southern rock blues like the Almond Brothers. They they were still and still are so unique, and even without the you know Boyd playing violin, they're able to morph with Buddy, and Buddy's able to add a new color element that's never been it, it been from a sound wise uh, in the band. So it's so cool to hear his different layers of coloring that his music is putting inside of the band. So so when Buddy plays, you're like, oh, he's adding more that's not been there before so they're they're the the whole band sound and I, I, i'm i'm mixing and matching sound and color because it's what it does it brings color into your heart through the sound right and so it's it's just beautiful oh let's stop right there that's yeah, i know i just went really color, deep on you color it brings color into your heart i have never heard that before that is absolutely an amazing way to phrase it it brings color into your heart that Matter of fact, that's going to be the title of this episode. Heck Color yeah. That is amazing, man. I've um, always felt that, but never really said it out loud. But when, when I say that, it, just, it makes complete sense. Absolutely. I, I got goosebumps from it, to be totally honest. Um, <laughs> all right. So pick your favorite song. And inside that song, pick your favorite lyric and, and let us know why that is your choice. Well, the last time we did this, I focused a lot on Best of What's Around because that song has continued to be, um, there's like two or three songs that continue to be top uh, all the time. And I can listen to it anytime. And Best of What's Around is uh, is definitely, long-term has been my favorite. And we all have those favorites that change throughout time. But that's been the consistent favorite, if you will. Like, I remember when the um, Crash CD came out and, you know, um, Crash Into Me. I love the video, but and I love the song. And it was a favorite, but it was a short-lived favorite when I uncovered Lion Our Graves, which is my buddy Daryl Hudson's favorite song, which is so funny because we talk about that. And I love playing a guitar. It's super simple and easy. But, you know... Lionel Graves for the longest time was my favorite and then it morphs, but best of what's around continues to be my favorite. So does you never know. Uh, you never know is to me, one of the most underrated songs in the catalog because no one talks about it. Everyone talks about something else. Right. But, uh, but did you want me to go into you never know or best of what's around is I, I would like to hear a little bit more of because we're going to get into you never know a little bit later. Okay, cool. Um, so I I would like to hear you explore just a little bit on um, the best of what's around. 
Yeah, I, I think when in music is is as a way to bring healing and bring uh, emotion and motivation as well. And best of what's around has been that for me. Like during hard times, it's a motivator and a healer. And that's really unique to have a song do both, right? Uh, so, so for me, um, you know, I'll take a look at a situation and uh, literally try to mimic that. Uh, you know, what's what's the worst case scenario? What's the best case scenario? All right, let's point towards the best case scenario and let's focus on that. And uh, one of my good friends down here, um, uh, you know, we talked about this a lot. Um, and um d lewis or d marie on facebook uh that i have focused myself to be around positive people but also listen to positive music so music in the key, in a major key is bright and happy uh it's the same way with uh with uh uh, music in a mixolydian uh, church mode for those who really want to go deep into you, music. Can you break that down? I'm, I'm unfamiliar with that term. Yeah, mixolydian is like a scale in music. So uh, it is. So back the you know how monks created beer. Well, they also created music theory uh, way back, long, long, long time ago, and. And they created these seven church modes, and those church modes, every every song in the world stems from these seven modes. So oh major God. key, minor key, and then there's bluesy keys. Uh, there's a blues key that's played in a lot of blues songs. Um, there's there's a song by the Allman Brothers, "Blue Sky," and that's in the uh, Mixolydian scale. And so if you know the note, you could play that scale and play along and jam with the song. It's actually one of my long-term favorites as well. And it's such a bright, happy song. Uh, and so music in, the, in uh, major and mixolydian keys that are bright and happy, I have focused my ear towards for the longest time, for, for, for decades. And um, so sometimes when I hear a morose, sad song, Right away, it's not going to be my favorite because that's not how I want to live my life, right? And so Dave Matthews' music is so positive and in a major key that he plays a lot of times. And what 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 creates so much more depth is he'll take a turnaround. Now I'm like straight up music theory on you, so if, uh, <laughs> so uh, or, or talking music, but he'll he'll take like a he'll play the verse and then play like a quick five second turnaround that sounds sad and then bounce right into being positive and happy. And that creates a emotional element that is even deeper because they'll, they'll, they'll play something that goes in one way and then bounces another and then back to the original way and changing those directions can bring a lot more emotion in a song. And, and they're masters at it. Like, here's a perfect example. The song Drunken Soldier. Uh, it starts off in a, in a very quick uh, tempo, but it's like a 
morose tempo. And then, and it jumps into the uh, chorus and then, or the verse and the chorus and the chorus, you're like, wow, I was not expecting this positive message to come into this weird started sounding song, right? So yeah, that's a little music theory into it. Sorry, (laughs) you got any thoughts into that, questions? You know, maybe not on the podcast, but like with a few guests I've had, they start talking about something that I'm completely unaware of. And frankly, it's fascinating as hell. So I'm going to have some more questions on that yeah. um, after the podcast because I want some links to explore that further. That, And I'll make sure that we get those links in the show notes for the podcast episode as well. So if any yeah. of our listeners are curious, we'll have some resources for you. Um, so look – Good news, really good news. The live events, the concerts, they're come, they're right around the corner. We didn't have any for 2019. Fuck you, COVID. Um, <laughs> but we're about ready to get back to it. And with that in mind, what I'd like you to do is explain a little bit about your favorite, absolute favorite live concert moment from Dave Matthews band and, and let us know why that was your favorite. Uh, man, you asked me this last time and it's still hard to figure that out. <clears throat> it is. <laughs> it, there are so many, um, you know, I re- I still remember. The, I remember the first show but it was the second show that was even more astounding to me because they were playing tons of my favorites. Uh, several years ago at Deer Creek, I drove up and it was, I think it was my 37th birthday, but he played like three of my top five favorite songs at that show. And then that same show was when they played a uh, hair action. Let me pull up my DMV uh, set list. That was 2015. They started with a wider shade of pale. Holy cow. And then that was also the same show that they did. Um, Sledgehammer, Drunken Soldier, Best of What's Around, Old Dirt Hill. I mean, that show was chock full of so much. Because you might die trying. Yeah. Pig, Warehouse. I mean... They were just rooftop. I love that jam and rooftop. Um, that that was unbelievable. Uh, you know, several years ago, I also went to a Charlottesville show. Uh, I, I think it was that year there were rumors that the band was going to kind of put a pause. And so the rumors were coming out. That was in 2016. And I told my wife, I was like, I got to go to Charlottesville. Uh, if this is their last year. I want to go to Charlotte. So I did that and the gorge that year. And so uh, it was cool to see him at, uh, at their home venue uh, or their, you know, the longstanding venue there, but seeing him at the gorge and walking up on that hill. And if you've not been to the gorge, it is, um, it is God's beautiful landscape painted in a way for you to experience music in nature and harmony and it's it's just unbelievable and so i highly recommend anyone to head to uh head to the gorge but that was amazing because my first night i was um 
uh, you know, it was, it's actually funny and it's, it's how the DMB family sometimes works. I was, um, I was, I had tickets and then I used Delta, uh, flight points to get like a, it was like $16 and 40 cent flight. I believe it was less than 20 bucks for sure. And then a week before the show, uh, I was, I was like, Oh crap, I didn't get a rental car. And so I started reaching around, uh, and talking to some folks and a buddy of mine, Phil Kasinovich and his girlfriend, Kara, they're like, Hey, we're on this flight. I was like, Oh, I think I'm on the same flight. Uh, can you, can you come along? Or guys like, can I jump in your car with you? He's like, yeah, absolutely. We get in like 11 o'clock. So think of trying to get from Seattle at 11 PM to the gorge. I would have been lost. <laughs> so, you know, it's, there's so many like random little memories in there. And, uh, there's so many great ones. Uh, just yesterday, uh, on my time hop was a picture of my brother and I, I drove up from Atlanta, picked him up in Indianapolis. We drove to the Chicago caravan and, um, it was, it, it was literally, um, just the other day and it was such a great memory um and i was i was uh like three rows back one night i think it was a saturday show i was three rows back with him my my first show wasn't until 2019 um i just i dealt with a lot of anxiety around crowds of people and so I, i loved the band for quite some time but i could only live vicariously through the stuff online and i remember uh watching the central park dvd i bought the dvd Uh, from borders bookstore and and popped it in man there's another throwback borders Borders. (laughs) (laughs) man i do too they had such a great like concert dvd section yeah Uh, but i remember watching central park and the whole thing blew me away but what really really took me over the edge was I had seen government mule before and to see Uh, Warren Haynes come out on stage I knew as soon as that man walked on stage, something was about to go down. Uh, And so they played Cortez the Killer. And that was my number one song on when I eventually go to shows, I want to hear Cortez and I want to hear it with Uncle Warren. And Gorge 2019 crested that hill like you were talking about, saw the beautiful landscape. And all of a sudden... We'd like to introduce our good, good friend, Mr. Warren Haynes, and uh, I lost my shit. Uh, and yeah. sure enough, first concert, got Warren Haynes, Cortez the Killer. I, I couldn't have asked for more. Uh, uh, yeah, so you mentioned briefly. Well, well, hold on real quick. Yeah, the, go for it. I remember our last, the, the first show, uh, we talked, I, I made a very unpopular uh, comment. I'm going to make it again because... I still believe that Warren Haynes is a better musician over a guitarist uh, than Tim Reynolds. Tim is a great, agreed, agreed. A, a great tactician. He could he could hammer in the notes in the right time. Yep. But Warren brings a feel and and a and soul to the same note that Tim plays a lot better. And, and yeah, I'm jealous you saw Warren. I've seen him play with, um, Colonel Bruce Hampton's 70th birthday show. God bless Colonel Bruce. Uh, 
but it, it, so I've seen him play a few times, and uh, I, I love I, I love him so much. So back on your uh, first reply to the question, you mentioned DMB family and yeah. how how things kind of work out. So I got a story um, I'm going to unpack here real quick that just happened to me since the last podcast episode. So uh, this will be publishing on Tuesday. So that'll be the 13th in two days. We're recording on a Sunday. And this Ooh. happened probably, I want to say, early last week, maybe later in the week before. So somewhere around the 1st to the 5th of July. Um, we had My wife and I had tickets for night two at Irvine. We're in California right now. And we got tickets for night two through Ticketmaster. And uh, they were sold out for night one. There were some resales available, but they were like $250. I just, I I couldn't do it. And uh, so I started, I asked my buddy Nico, um, who's pretty active in in all the the DMB stuff you can imagine online, the groups, Twitter, the whole thing, uh, what he would do. And he gave me a link um, to a reputable website. And then he said, make sure you're posting it in the group. So I posted it in my group DMB on demand. I tweeted it. I went to the DMB family and, and put it in search of tickets for that Friday night there. Um, and I got a few, few people messaged me and some of them were, you know, seats that weren't bad, but weren't great. They wanted X amount of dollars for them. And then, uh, this one person had general admission, uh, pit tickets that they were looking to sell and they were looking to sell them at face value. And, and uh, I asked how much they said it'd be about a hundred bucks a ticket, give or take. I said, okay, mind you, going back to my earlier statement, I had only been to one DMB show. So I knew nothing of the danger of ticket buying outside of unofficial or outside of official means. Yeah. Um, I had not heard yet heard the horror stories about it. I had not been keyed into the danger of it. So when this person offered me these crazy good tickets and to be in the pit for the first time in my life and for face value, I jumped on it and uh, I went to pay them the money and something happened on PayPal when the payment didn't go through. They said, try running it through the friends and family version of PayPal instead of oh, the no. item version. No. And I said, okay, that's fine. I was so excited, man. I was thrilled. So I went to um, I went to do that, and the payment went through. And as we're sitting there talking, um, they said that they were getting ready to, to email me the tickets. And I finally started to ask some questions that I should have asked to begin with. And the first question was, out of curiosity, how did you get access to these tickets at face value? Are you a member of the warehouse? Because that's the only place I can think of that – somebody would have that access to tickets that early at face value. And then the reply back was, sorry. And I knew as soon as I saw that one word, sorry, that I was fucked. So that's all they said. Yeah. Instantly I started digging on this person's social media. They had given me their email address because that they were going to email me the tickets. So I had their name from Facebook and I had their email address and I started digging. And this person was a, 
uh, blonde bombshell that only posts vague professional looking pictures of herself and had an Instagram with three variants of her name. So three different accounts with variants of her name, all with the same pictures. Um, and the email address came back to nothing. Now, I should have caught this sooner. There is culpability on my side for this, but I was completely naive. It was not a uh, ignorant set of actions or inactions. It was naivety. And it instantly soured my whole stance on, I hate to say it, but man, it, it really like stained my whole yeah. DMB fandom. It, yeah. it took something from me. And not just money, something more than money. Yeah. It took something for me or from me. And so I decided I texted my wife, Lacey, who had actually mentioned something along the lines of, um, do you know this person really well? And they had been my friends on Facebook for years. So like I, I didn't know them well, but this wasn't like a new account that just got registered. Like, like they were in my orbit for quite some time. Wow. And so I said, yeah, you know, I've known them for a couple of years. And it was enough for me to think, okay, I've known them for years. They're in my orbit. It's, it's all right. Uh, anyway, uh, I texted Lacey back and I was like, so this is what happened. I can't cancel it. I can't dispute it. Can you try talking to the bank and see if the bank can? We were trying all the options we could and we, we couldn't get anywhere. And so I decided, fuck it. I'm going to sell my tickets that I have for night one to make up for the loss of the money spent on night two. And I went back to all of those posts I made on social media, the in search of post for tickets. And I gave an update about what happened. And I would say 20% of the people were kind of of the mindset of, yeah, you fucked up. Uh, you're an idiot. You should have done this beforehand, which I totally get. And 80% was, empathy, sympathy, and just trying to do some damage repair to that stain on my fandom. Um, and then all of a sudden, I get this message. And it's from somebody on my Twitter account that I, I've spoken with him a few times, but nothing in depth, not like how I've talk to you in depth and, and some other people in the DMB family. But I talked to him a few times and he sent a message that instantly quieted all of the negativity going on in my head. It instantly not only made up for the theft that had just happened and the blow to my fandom, so to speak, not only did it, did it erase that, but it more than doubled it on yeah. the positive side. I could yeah. not believe what this guy was doing. Yeah. And I think that is a good spot to pause for this week's recording and to tell you that if you want to hear about what this guy did to just completely blow me away, tune in to next week's recording where the very first part of the interview is going to be that story. Awesome.
Welcome to the final segment for today, The Way I Heard It. We know there is such diversity within the DMB family, or community, and for this reason alone, there will be differences in how we all interpret the music and the lyrics. Each week, we select a song and ask several fans to break down the song the way they heard it. Take a listen. Perhaps you would have heard the song in the same way, or perhaps you'll find a new appreciation of the song discussed. Enjoy! Hey everybody, this is Dr. Bob Fusen, musician and Leroy Moore biographer. I am so excited to be back with you on The Way I Heard It. Today I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite DMB tunes, and I'm sure one of yours, Lie in Our Graves. So Lie in Our Graves is a really interesting song. It's one of the many Carpe Diem, Seize the Day tunes that Dave likes to write lyrically. Musically, though, it's extremely interesting in terms of the way it's arranged, the way that it's put together. And as a musician, that's kind of how I hear things always. So uh, I'd like to kind of break down what makes Lion Our Grave so very interesting. And then I'd like to talk about some of my favorite versions. So first of all, when we think back to the history of the song, um, it started out basically as Dave playing it solo, and then Carter would join in later. And that's essentially how the foundation of the song works. Um, there's no real chorus. There is kind of a little bridge section, but it's mainly just verses, and the verses feature Dave and Carter on uh, drums and guitar. Um, there's no bass. Um, there are little bass interpolations kind of in the bridge area. But for the most part, it's just guitar and drums jamming in on that, which gives it a really nice kind of sparse sound. And it makes it all the more impactful when that bass drops, when it comes in really heavy in Stefan's part. My favorite part of Lion Our Graves is easily the jam at the end. Um, the song remains pretty much in the same key throughout, but the chord progression at the, the jam part of Lion Our Graves is just so beautiful and con well constructed and put together. It has a very smooth bass motion. The, the bass part moves uh, in, in a very pleasing way to the ear. The chord progression itself has kind of a, a gospel feel to it. Um, it's a, it's a very interesting it's a very interesting progression in that it moves logically um, through what we call voice leading. Voice leading is how musicians move chords or melodies around in pleasing ways. You know, if you have different chords going, you might be tempted to voice them in such a way that they jump around, but voice leading helps smooth that out a lot. And Lionheart Graves is a, a great example of that. My other favorite thing about Lionheart Graves is one of my favorite things about DMB as a band in general, which is they're able to take these little musical ideas and expand upon them and blow them up into something else entirely. Uh, Proudest Monkey is a great example. Um, the American Baby intro is another example. And the jam section of Lion Our Graves is a great example of that. It's a very simple chord progression, a very simple rhythmic thing that happens. Uh, but they build upon it and build upon it and build upon it. And the effect of that is that the listener uh, becomes aware of what's happening. Even if you don't have a lot of musical training um, or, or, or understand anything about music at all, your brain 
is able to process music in essentially the same way that musicians do. You know, if we were to take a, a, a scan of, uh, say, my brain and, and someone who didn't play music at all listening to Lie in Our Graves, uh, the brain waves would be essentially the same. Now, there might be some other areas lighting up in, in my analytical portion, but we essentially process as human beings music all the same way. And so that particular progression plants an idea in the listener's brain. You have the little rhythmic thing that breaks it up. But what happens is, is the audience member gets used to They can anticipate what is going to happen next. And that is really where the magic happens in all music. Because once we set up an expectation for you, we can deny that expectation or we can alter, we can change it. And what that does is it gives little dopamine hits to your brain. Now you are searching both for what you've heard before that you recognize and identifying the variation of it, right? That's what the human brain does so, so well is, is process these patterns and process these sounds and make sense of them, right? Music is organized noise in, in some sense. So that's what's happening in Lie in Our Graves. That buildup in the jam starts so softly and beautifully and slowly, and it gets you uh, in tune with the harmonic progression that's going on. And they repeat it a few times. There's a little bridge section, and you go, okay, I know what's going on here. But then as it goes on and the soloist goes on and on, it changes. Things change. Now, there are anchor points, the little rhythmic thing that happens. The chord progressions stay essentially the same. As usual with Dave Matthews' band, the thing that really amps it up, the thing that really adds all those layers on top is Carter Beaufort's drumming. So while a lot of the harmonic and rhythmic information might not change too much, Carter is able to lay things over top of that that change it drastically. So you get different feels, different time inputs, different different things. So it's a really, really cool song musically, just the way that it's constructed. It's in a really guitar-friendly key, and it just sounds fantastic. Uh, I want to talk about some favorite versions of mine. First, the studio version is a, a great example of how to record a studio song that imparts the wisdom of the song and the feel of the song on an album and still maintaining something for the live setting, right? I remember when I first listened to that version on Crash, I was a little upset there's no solo over that jam. Um, not Boyd, not Leroy. It's kind of just an open thing. But as I've listened to it over the years, I've come to appreciate the, the amount of space that that implies. And it really lets you kind of dig into the, the really cool things Tim Reynolds is doing, the fills that he's doing, and the way Carter amps things up a lot. So the studio version is a great blueprint for how that song should go. Um, I love the versions with Bela Fleck um, where he is, has soloed over that. They've always been just outrageous, outrageously good. And something about that chord progression, again, in the jam that, that really hits me emotionally, um, especially when it gets to that little second part. Um, for you musicians out there, that's the, the start part that starts on E minor. It, it's just a... a beautifully emotional chord progression as it builds. Uh, when I was uh, in high school, I had an opportunity to hear Lionheart Graves a couple times with Boyd soloing, and I think those solos in Lionheart Graves really capture the essence of who Boyd Tinsley is and what he was about. Um, there's a lot of talk about Boyd's musical abilities and things that have happened over the years, but when we talk about music, especially music that's popular, we can fall into two categories. There are the highly trained, educated musicians who go to music schools or conservatories or things like that. 
who really study the music, and then there are people who um, are trying things by trial and error, who may not know what they're doing, but they're being kind of led by their ear. There are pros and cons to both. The educated musician has all the information necessary, but they can sometimes suffer uh, a creative block, and so their music might not be as creative. The person going on Pure Instinct is the most creative, but it's hard for them to work themselves out of holes because they don't always have the tools to do so. One of the things that's beautiful about Dave Matthews' band is its ability to combine those musicians and create something that's really, really powerful. And the best musicians, I think, are both studied and able to lock into that creative thing. And Boyd's solos on Lion Our Graves are, are like that. The musical information, the harmonic knowledge is such that it's very easy for the listener to hold on to it, to understand what's going on. And Boyd, again, like the rest of the band, is really good at building a solo, of starting slow, starting with simple themes, and then ramping up that energy. That's probably the thing that Boyd did best was just infusing everything with energy. Right, and so those Lionheart Grave solos from from that era, from about maybe ninety eight to two thousand two thousand one, um, are really really special. When you throw Butch Taylor into the mix, also uh, just a incredibly gifted uh, piano player, um, you get a real a real interesting sonic landscape where you have Boyd who is not pushing the harmony all that much, but is really ratcheting up the intensity. And then Butch who is really expanding the harmonic stuff and, and, and really throwing that jazz stuff in there. Those are really high energy versions. Now my favorite version of Lion Our Graves, hands down, bar none, forever, is the one from Live at Red Rocks. It of course features a, a solo by the late great Leroy Moore. And it's perhaps one of my favorite tracks of his because it's so startlingly, incredibly speech-like. Uh, we talk about music sometimes as a language. There's some debate about how much that is true. Or we talk about jazz as a language. You learn the jazz language and you learn things. Uh, and we talk about improvisers telling a story, right? That's that's something that every improvising musician is trying to do is impart some kind of emotional content through their instrument and tell a story and create a narrative. That particular version of Lion Our Graves is a stunning piece of contemporary improvisation on the saxophone. It's almost speech-like. You can almost hear the syllables that, that happen in his solo. Motivically, it develops so intensely, and the, the voice leading that he uses in that solo ratchets up the intensity and the emotion so, so, so much. It's just a brilliantly constructed solo. Um, he matches Carter's energy so, so well without completely freaking out and playing a bunch of notes and playing some craziness. It's it's just the most amazing solo, one of the most amazing solos I've I've ever heard, in that it... <sighs> You know, I kind of liken it to Leroy's playing is kind of like listening to your grandpa or your, your favorite uncle telling you a story, right? It's it's not going to be Shakespeare, but it's going to be so emotionally impactful. And that's what that solo is for me. It's uh, a solo that hits me emotionally because it's just beautifully done. It's pure emotion from the beginning to the end. After Leroy passed... Uh, there was a, a long period of time where I could not listen to that track. It was such an incredible 
display of his genius and his musical ability and his his sixth sense for playing the right note at exactly the right time. Um, and I, you know, I did not know Leroy personally. I never met him. Um, I did wave and yell at him once outside of a show, but I never met him. So I didn't know him personally. The, what I knew him through was his music. And, and here in Lion Our Graves from Red Rocks was just a beautifully bare example of his personality. It's so vulnerable, and you feel like you understand intimately what his playing is about when you listen to that. And it was just too hard to listen to after he passed away because that genius was gone. That that brilliance was no more. Um, you know, it's, it, it's kind of like being lost at sea, and, and Leroy was like the stars, you know. He didn't shine the brightest, but he was there. He was always there, and it just kind of blinked out after he was gone. And in later years, I've I've come to appreciate that solo even more because it is something that I point to so often to say this guy was a real genius in terms of improvisation and and language and capturing an audience. I mean, you know, it's not uncommon for musicians to sit in jazz clubs and listen to four or five minute saxophone solos, but it's much more uncommon for stadiums full of people to listen to that. And that's what made Leroy so unique. He was not you know, this riffing saxophonist or like a Clarence Clemens type where he's doing a traditional thing. He's a lot more aligned with like what Branford Marsalis did with Sting in the 80s, um, except Leroy is much more important to the DNA of that group. You know, I, I, I said before that if you if you pull that string out of DMB, it, it kind of renders the garment undone because he is so vital to the makeup of that group. And Lionel Graves is, is just a startlingly incredible example of that where not only are his parts steeped in the jazz language and have have blues inflections and all that but the solo he plays is just captivating just absolutely captivating other favorites of mine i really enjoy the dave matthews tim reynolds versions um especially uh radio city is a, a favorite of mine i think it's radio city i hope I hope it's Radio City. I hope I'm not misremembering what the album is, but there's there's one where where Tim does kind of a similar thing that he does on the album where his solo is not really noty. It's kind of just him kind of repeating one note. And that gets too into like the very heart of what DMB is, that kind of trance-like thing where if you play something long enough, the audience latches onto it. And then if it doesn't change, they're bored by it. But if it continues to go unchanged, there's kind of a trance-like element to it, um, a hypnotic thing to it. This goes all the way back to African music and, and you know, to current like EDM and, and house music and things like that. The, the idea behind that constant repetition is that it's supposed to put you in kind of a daze. And, and that's what that Tim Reynolds solo does for me. Um, Lionel Graves is, is far and away one of my favorite, favorite DMB songs for a lot of reasons mainly because of that that version from Red Rocks and, and Leroy's brilliant, brilliant solo on that. But it's it's a, just a classic, and, and there are so many great soloists and versions and things that, that, that have happened over the years with the tune. It just, it, it's really one that I love so much. And, and on my, my pipe dream wish list of if I ever got the chance to, to sit in with the band, that's, 
that's definitely up there as one of the songs I would pick if they gave me that kind of time um, to guess. So one of my absolute favorites, Lie in Our Graves. Thank you all for listening. Please feel free to reach out to me if you want to talk some more about Leroy. Bob at BobFusen.com. It's super easy to remember. Uh, I have a blog that's going to resume here pretty soon. And I love talking to folks about Leroy because he's a musical genius and severely underrated. And, you know, Dave said in an interview that he was one of the unsung heroes of the instrument. And my response to that was, Dave, buddy, I'm out here singing as loud as I can. So if anybody wants to talk Leroy, find me on Twitter, email me through my website. I'd, I'd love to chat with you. We want to give a special thanks to our guests and co-contributors for this episode of the podcast. Without your valuable contributions, we wouldn't be able to continue. We hope that you've enjoyed our deep dive into the music of DMB and the community that supports them. You can find us on all social media platforms by searching DMB On Demand. Visit us on dmbondemand.com for DMB-related merch and to learn more about DMB On Demand. Until next time, don't burn the day away.